The following message is from the 2012 IBCD Summer Institute, Changed by Grace. This is Lifting the Veil When Homosexuality Invades Christian Marriages. Thank you for coming. I did think it was just going to be four (laughs) with this topic. So uh, let me pray before we get started. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your awesome grace and mercy. Thank you for this conference, for uh, making it happen and for the wonderful word that is uh, being preached and spoken and counseled. Father, I just pray your blessing over everyone that's here, that their hearts will be open to what you have to say to their hearts, and that they may uh, use this for themselves and take this back through their churches and to their friends and families. Father, we just thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay, I first came across this topic uh, a year ago, almost to the day, um, I was married to my ex-husband in 93, and we were married for about 11 years. But within the marriage, there were some issues going on, which I will describe later as we go into this presentation. But I never knew what was wrong. Um, and to this day, I don't know, uh, actually. But I am suspicious of his uh, struggle with homosexuality. He's never said it, never asked him, don't really have contact with them. It's just something that I've been praying about and have been pushing aside, and the Lord kept bringing it to my attention. So this is what, so I started researching this topic for about a year now. And unfortunately, there's not a lot of information on where the wife is a lesbian, where she's struggling with the issue, is, there's not a lot of research, but it, it is out there. It's more common for the wife to be married to someone who struggles with this. So, some men and women who self-identify as heterosexual are sexually involved with people of the same sex. A percentage of these men and women are also sexually active with people of the opposite sex. A 2008 University of Chicago study showed that the number of women whose husbands have been with other men is estimated at between 1.5 and 2.9 million. Other studies have shown that out of the 27 million American males who are presently married, 436,000 or 1.6% identify themselves as gay or bisexual. And it often surprises people to learn that 30% of the people who contact the straight spouse network are men. Now, this network is a secular network of people who just come together who have been or is married to uh, homosexuals, lesbians, transvestites, transgender, everything. Okay, just to lay the foundation, I'm going to fly through this because there's a lot of information, and this is just on the surface. Every topic on the outline can go very deep. (laughs) So this is just skimming. I'm just skimming the the, the surface here. Genesis 2.24, for this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and join and be joined to, to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. We know that is the basis of marriage. And marriage is, Christian marriage is a reflection of Christ in the church, Ephesians 5.31. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. It is supposed to be a lifelong monogamous relationship between a man and a woman. This is a quote from Tim Keller, 
According to the Bible, God devised marriage to reflect his saving love for us in Christ, to refine our character, to create stable human community for the birth and, and nurture of children, and to accomplish all this by bringing the complementary sexes into an enduring whole life union. And it needs to be said, therefore, that this Christian vision for marriage is not something that can be realized by two people of the same sex. It's unfortunate that we have to say that now. Luke 18.20, you know the commandments, do not commit adultery. And if you remember, if you study adultery, you know it starts in the heart. So even if someone hasn't acted out and they're struggling with that temptation, if they're fantasizing, that's moving into sin and adultery. So let's look at a biblical definition of homosexuality. If you remember, there's only one passage that I think that actually said, says the word, and depending on what version you're looking at, but God gives descriptions of sinful behavior. So Leviticus 18.22, you shall not lie with a man as one lies with a female. It is an abomination. Leviticus 20.13, if there is a man who lies with a male as those who lie with a woman, both of them have committed a detestable act and they shall surely be put to death. Their blood guiltiness is upon them. In Romans 1.26.27, for this reason God gave them over to degrading passions for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural, and in the same way, also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts, receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their era. Okay, let's talk about male-male. That is basically a simplistic description, a rejection or denial of biblical masculinity. The word masculine is not in the Bible. It's a 14th century word. Um, what we have in the Bible, therefore, however many references to male and to man and male, God's intent for their function and roles and character, that's in the Bible. You can look at the characters, you know, the, the men in the Bible, and you can pull out their characteristics of what it means, of what God meant for masculinity. At the heart of mature masculinity is a sense of benevolent responsibility to lead, provide for, and protect women in ways appropriate to a man's differing relationships. And that's Piper and Grudem's definition. Michael Reagan um, recently wrote a book. I uh, don't remember the name of it. But he told his story, his life story, growing up with his father being Ronald Reagan and his mother being Jane uh, Wyman. They were both actors and actresses back way back in the day. Um, so he was adopted into the family, and when he became like five or something, they sent him off to boarding school, uh, to an all-male boarding school. And they had like an after-school program, and this counselor at this program began to take special interest in Michael. And for like, he said, three times a week for about almost a year, he was molested by this man. He, uh, pictures were taken, so there's child molestation and child pornography uh, that he was involved in on the, you know, getting as the victim. Um, and his, his parents weren't really paying attention. They, he didn't tell them. Uh, it lasted for a long time, and then his father, as he got older, sent him to an all-boys school. And at this point, he was struggling with his masculinity. He was wondering, am I homosexual or not? You know, he's around boys all the time. He can't tell. What's going on? He was still money, you know, when he was home with his with the Reagans uh, to go and buy prostitutes. He was trying to prove that he's not homosexual. Eventually, he did get married, and within that marriage, after two kids or so, he became a Christian, 
and uh, he didn't talk about any actual practices or experiences, at least what, what I heard. I didn't read the whole book, but I heard him speaking, and he didn't mention any particular practices or if he struggles with that now. But he did not tell his wife until he was ready to write the book. So they had been married for years, and, and you know, this, the, whatever was going on in the, in the marriage, his past life, he didn't tell her. And that does affect your present relationship. Your, you know, it comes out. If you're hiding something or keeping something secret, you're going to be reminded of it, and it's going to affect how you act presently. So it's better to just talk to your wife, talk to your spouse about what happened in your past. Okay, female, female is rejection or denial of biblical femininity. The word feminine is not in the Bible either. It's a 14th century word. There are, however, many references to woman and female and God's intent for their function, roles, and character. At the heart of mature femininity is a freeing disposition to affirm, receive, nurture strength and leadership from worthy men in ways appropriate to a woman's differing relationships. And that's uh, Piper and Grudem's definition as well. It is wrong for a man to deny his masculinity to be feminine. And it's equally wrong for a woman to deny her femininity to be masculine. Um, like for women who do manly jobs, she's, she's not necessarily denying her femininity because she can do it in feminine ways. And, and like for a man who likes to cook, you know, they do that in a masculine way. So it's not based on what you're doing necessarily. It's whether you're denying who you are, masculine or feminine. It's a life-dominating sin. After losing the battle over and over again, they come to the conclusion that God made them that way. Whether you believe they are born that way or not, that does not matter. In the Bible, we know that it's a sin, and that's how you have to deal with it. Uh, they're terribly unsatisfied, enshrouded in self-condemnation, increasingly burdened with guilt and despair. Um, Tom Maxim is doing uh, two workshops on coming out of homosexuality, and I have to applaud IBCD for having these topics here, especially in a reform-type setting because it's not talked about. People struggle, and they don't have anywhere to go. They don't know who to talk to. So having these workshops, you know, it's on, it'll be on audio. They can pass it around. So I, I just applaud IBCD for doing that. Okay, the media. Ted and Gail Haggard. You've heard about them like a couple of years ago, not that long ago. Ted Haggard was the president of the National Association of Evangelicals and the pastor of a megachurch in Colorado. And he was um, a male prostitute accused him of buying sex from him and drugs. And it turned out to be true. And, that, you know, it was a massive media mess going on. So right now, he, uh, he did go through some counseling, and about not, that, not that long. And then he, he finished and said, well, I'm, I'm um, heterosexual with issues. Um, today, they have started another church. Gail has written a book, and she decided to stay with them. And she tells the story of how they were treated by the church rather than what happened in the relationship. So I don't know how they're doing in their marriage personally. Bishop Eddie Long and Vanessa, he is a pastor of a mega church as well, I think on the East Coast. Um, he was accused by some young men of 
actually having consensual sex with them and grooming them by buying them things and taking them on trips. And they all of a sudden came out and accused him of that. And he settled out of court with them. Uh, his wife uh, filed for divorce, but then she withdrew that, so don't know the status of where they are. Ray Boltz, remember him? Uh, his popular song, Thank You. Anybody know that song? I'm not going to sing it because I can't sing. <laughs> but he, he and his wife, Carol, were married for 30 years. Uh, and, the, and one day he came out and said, I'm homosexual, so they're divorced, and he's doing his thing. I think he's still in music, um, and she's just doing something else. She has a blog, actually. So this is happening uh, more and more in the churches, and this is why I'm very concerned. And, and we're getting counsel counselees coming in with, this, with these issues. And we as counselors need to know how to handle it because it is a hot topic. It's a, you know, no one wants to touch it. It's shocking. But we, we definitely need to start talking about it. The world is seeing it. You know, what are Christians doing about it? This is, you know, not a good witness for Jesus Christ if we're just going to shun these people and, and not love them and bring them in and help them. Okay, there are two types. Those who are living with the temptation while married but not acting it out and those who are given into the temptation while married and, and they are acting it out. So prior knowledge, three categories. Prior knowledge, some people, some Guys will tell the wife, well, I kind of, you know, had an experience in college or dabbled in this or that, but I'm fine now. I'm cured. No problem. God, you know, healed me from that. You know, I'm just letting you know I had this problem. And she's like, oh, okay, that's, that's fine. Okay, so that's behind us. And she really doesn't understand the implications of that. So she, so when they get into this situation and they, and they find out that he's actually acting this out again, they are just as hurt and devastated as someone who never knew. Suspicion. This was not the category I, I am in. When you're get, you get suspicious when things are not going right or normal, for example, mainly in the sexual relationship um, and even outside of that, he, I'm going to get more into that, but basically, if a guy is struggling with that, if that's what he wants, he is not attracted to the female body. She's not going to feel feminine. She's not going to feel like he loves her or cares. It's, it's kind of like there's a disconnect there. Discovery, when the person has been in the marriage and she walked by computer screen and saw, you know, a gay chat room or gay porn on the computer, or she f discovered something, some magazine or something hidden somewhere. So within the marriage, she discovers that. It's like living in a different dimension, but not knowing it. All she knows is that something is not right. You unlock this door with the key of imagination. Beyond it is another dimension. A dimension of sound. A dimension of sight. A dimension of mind. You're moving into a land of both shadow and substance of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the Twilight Zone. I love that show. So it's, it's like the Twilight Zone, and one description is dancing in the circle of crazies that some women have described it as. It's a performance between two people in a relationship engaged in a series of, of relational patterns that is odd and usual and strange. One spouse is trying to live a, a reality that he or she believes to be true, which is actually a false reality. 
while the other spouse is hiding the truth. And I'll, I want to read you a short, short um, case study by Leo and True. These are mainly from the women's perspective. I was married in spring of 2007 and think it was three weeks hence that I knew it was all wrong and I would have to leave. I had a son quite miraculously towards the end of that year. After looking quite pleased with himself for the couple of weeks after our son was born, the mental and emotional abuse really ramped up. I tried everything, asked, begged, spoke to his family, went to a counselor for a couple of sessions, long enough for her to say the magic words, that I was angry and that men don't like angry women. He cited me wearing striped shirts and having my hair down rather than pinned up as reasons for refusing sex. I won't go into the details. You have, to hear, you have heard it all before. It's terrible to stand in your closet knowing that a striped shirt will bring romantic doom. This is from um, a newsletter for women who are going through this. This is like a support newsletter. And all of, all of, all of these newsletter reports have basically the guy, it's been proven that he, has, he is homosexual. Uh, it was hidden in the beginning, but it's been discovered. So just giving you an idea of what the women are going through. Um, before I go on, uh, when, a, when the wife is struggling, the men are emotionally devastated as well, but of course not like we women are. Uh, they are angry. Um, there's no man to punch. He's not going to go and fight a woman. Um, the main thing he feels is exclusion. Uh, he, If she were to... Okay, put that aside and come back. He's fine with it as long as they're intimate. They can move on. But these women are actually leaving their families, leaving their children, leaving their home to create this other relationship. And that leaves him as a single parent, um, the only parent. And he, you know, so he has his, his issues going through that that he has to deal with. So that can happen in churches as well, and he will need support and counsel as well. So another description is, can't put my finger on it. A spouse senses something is wrong, but is not able to identify the problem. A spouse seeks the truth in the relationship, but the truth is subtle and deceptively denied. Alvin and Jamie's story. She says, I've often wondered why I am overwhelmed with such a feeling of emptiness after my gay husband left me. Why am I not leaping for joy that this verbal and emotional abuse is gone, right along with his presence? I now understand why recovery takes so long, for I believe I have discovered the dynamic at, at play. And it is a very complicated process because of the depth and, and length of time the pain was experienced. I'm the straight wife, the submissive, troubled wife. I have learned to be submissive to keep the peace in the marriage, troubled because in my gut I knew there was something wrong. Before I discovered he was gay, I knew that he was a dictator and a narcissist for only his way and what he wanted was my only reality. After time, I learned quite well that my opinion was not his concern. This, do this domination almost gave me a direction and a purpose in life, to try at all times to please my husband. I just came to accept the fact that what he said mattered, and whatever I thought or said didn't. I would just shake my head and not utter a word, for I knew it was futile to confront him. And it's kind of like putting together a puzzle, but you don't have all the pieces. And you're trying to figure this. You think you have all the pieces. They're not fitting. And you're like confused. It's like something's wrong here. Gaslighting. This is a movie. Gaslight is a 1944 American version of the movie Gaslight. There's a 1941 too. But this is the American one. 
And the term gaslighting uh, came from this movie. This movie, what happened in this... Has anyone seen this? It's, it's a good movie. Uh, the, the man married this woman because she, was, she possessed her aunt's expensive paintings and he wanted access to it. But of course she didn't know that. So she fell in love, they got married, they moved into the house and the uh, paintings were up in the attic. And his goal was to make her think that she's crazy, to actually make her go insane so that he can get access to the paintings. And, you know, she's put away in the Looney Tune, and she's gone, and he has the... So, so that's the entire movie, so I'm not going to tell you the ending <laughs> if you want to watch it. <clears throat> Gaslighting has come to describe a pattern of psychological abuse in which the victim is gradually manipulated into doubting his or her own reality. This can involve physical tactics such as moving or hiding objects or emotional ones such as denying one's own abusive behavior to a victim. The effect is to maintain the abuser's self-image as a sympathetic person with, while simultaneously priming the disoriented victim to believe that he or she is to blame for potentially escalating mistreatment. You know something to be true, but someone convinces you it's not true. Then you question your judgment. He says that nothing is wrong, that she's the one with the problem, and that's emotional manipulation. Okay, I have another case report here. I know that I was made to feel crazy if I suggested to my husband that maybe, just maybe, he's, um, oh yes, bisexual. That was a nice way for me to frame it in my mind back in those days. He would tell me I'm out of my mind and, oh yes, crazy. How could I ever think something so horrible and disgusting? Now in the beginning, I felt a big sense of relief, but as time wore on, the relief turned to doubt, and not doubt about him, but doubt about me. And once self-doubt starts, it's a quick progression down the road called I can't trust my judgment anymore. Like peeling the onion, your self-confidence gets peeled down one layer at a time until it shrinks to nothing. Flipping the script is when a spouse is deliberately deceived into believing in an image of her spouse and later finds out the image was a lie. And we have a real live example in Jim and Dina McGreevy. He was the New Jersey governor who came out and said he is an American, a gay American. And she wrote a book, and he did too. And her book came out. She said, people thought I was living the American dream, and for a while I thought so too. I believed, that I, believed I had married a kind and loving man whom I loved and who loved me. I thought we were building a life based on shared values, a strong spiritual commitment, and a desire to make a difference in the world. The Jim McGreevy I fell in love with was passionate, direct, and plain-spoken, a charismatic man whose warmth and easy manner rapidly took him from the mayor's office to the New Jersey governor's mansion. The Jim McGreevy I married turned out to be passive, evasive, and secretive, a hesitant man whose duplicity and unchecked ambition proved to be his downfall and derailed our lives, and I never saw it coming. The great actors, um, we'll get to that when, when you're narcissistic or you have this pathological line, you, you perfect it, and you're a great actor and you can fool a lot of people. A wolf in sheep's clothing, beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but in, inwardly they are ravening, wolf, ravening wolves, Matthew seven fourteen. Don't ask, don't tell. A spouse purposely fails to disclose his or her past or present same-sex attraction, desiring to suppress it and live in a normal marriage. Okay, let me read this case report. And these are true stories. I am a member of a unique set of women who have been married to a gay man, perhaps not so unique, really, since there are millions of us. 
For me, after more than 27 years of marriage, I found out not by his admission, I asked and he lied, but through telephone records of his secret life. On a daily basis during my married life, I tried to cope with the craziness of living with a gay man. I did not know or understand the meaning of my pain. I was fighting a war of sanity, <coughs> trying to remain sane in the face of insanity. For you see, nothing is what it seems in these marriages. Lies and manipulation, verbal and emotional abuse are the name of this game. I was not educated at all about gay men. I never thought I had to be because who would have thought that a gay man would have any interest in a straight woman? My ex-husband had been in the Air Force for almost 24 years before he retired at the rank of lieutenant colonel during a time the military terms their don't ask, don't tell policy era. This don't ask, don't tell policy has only recently been revoked by the armed services. He retired at the end of 1999. If he would have been exposed as being gay during this active duty years, he would have most likely have been charged with derelition of duty and probably would have been discharged. I've talked with another retired officer and asked her post-discovery if she ever thought he was gay. She said, yes, when I first met him, but when I met you and your children, she said, but then I met you and your children, and so I no longer thought he might be gay. Wow, how incredibly convenient our, our children and I were for him. So wives become covers for the husbands to help them look more normal or heterosexual. The art of compartmentalization. A spouse separates or compartmentalizes his or her homosexual behavior from his or her personal or normal life. And unfortunately, pastors are doing this. It's coming out more and more where they can stand in the pulpit and preach and have a, a congregation, but then behind closed doors, they are secretly doing other things. Um, almost a year passed before I started coming to terms with what had happened. Despite years of religious service and unfettered zeal for preaching morality, the way I was actually living my life testified to the fact that I knew very little of true religion or, or morality. The truth is, I was dancing with the devil, adorned in a cloak of Christian garb that fooled most of the people most of the time, even me. On one side of the coin, he was an upstanding minister of the church. On the other side of the coin, he was a sleazy back-alley homosexual. Okay, crime scene investigation. For nothing is hidden that will not become evident, nor anything secret that will not be known or come to light. So, the counterfeit marriage, when these women meet these men, or, or the men meet the women, they have a heterosexual appearance. Um, he's not effeminate, he's not swishy like the Hollywood version or stereotypical flamboyant, high-pitched voice, you know, limp hand. He's not, I mean, that would be so obvious. <laughs> You know, so he's, normally they don't approach you that way. They, they're very masculine. They like sports. They just do masculine things. There's something I did run across. Um, when you look at the cultures, like in the urban culture, there are guys who look like thugs, purposely look like thugs, with the baggy pants and just look tough. But they're on the down low is what they call it. And that's their purpose. They want to hide. They don't want their families to know, especially in the black community. It's not tolerated, so they dare not come home talking about that. So they act like they're like rappers or dress like them, and you never know. Emotional disconnection. So these are characteristics that are found in these types of marriages. 
The passion and excitement was never really there from the beginning. When she begins to think back, she's like, you know what? It really wasn't there in the beginning. Going through the motions, especially sexually, there's superficial communication about their marriage. They can talk about everything under the sun, but when it comes to their intimate relationship, heart issues, trying to understand his heart is just not there. Uh, the relationship lacks intimacy and intimate kissing. This is something that keeps coming up in the research, that the woman wants a passionate kiss, and it never happens. Absence of emotional love. She just doesn't feel that heart emotional love from him. Sexual rejection, avoidance, and inconsistencies. This is the main characteristic that you find. Like if there's pornography, heterosexual pornography going on in the marriage, this is not usually a problem. Um, sometimes it can be, but it's not throughout the course of the marriage. It may happen you know, during intervals of time when he's engaging in that. But this is pretty constant in this type of marriage. A spiraling decline in sexual activity for no reason, excluding stress and health-related reasons. That happens in heterosexual marriages for a time when there's a lot of stress going on, but then it's not the norm. So, And it happens especially early in these marriages, like even on the honeymoon night there. I'm not sure if I have a case study for that, but on some, you know, some cases, the marriage is not consummated on the wedding night. He makes excuses and... You know, she's confused, and he, it's, it's so manipulative that she doesn't really get it. She, she believes whatever he's saying, and okay, okay, well, well, she's constantly accommodating and adjusting. Okay, this will get better. We'll try this or whatever. Um, there's decreased interest in initiation. He really doesn't initiate. She has to, to the point where he accuses her of being uh, too aggressive, but he rarely ever initiates. Causing an argument or being critical, he's constantly critical of things like cleaning, you know, how well she cleans the house. He's critical of, of whatever she's doing, and, and she's constantly trying to figure out how to make him happy, and nothing works. He stays busy around bedtime, you know, on the computer or off doing something, and she's waiting, and now she's falling asleep. So this happens continuously, shows little to no interest in her body. Um, I really don't want to get too graphic, but he, he, he really doesn't find her attractive at all, really doesn't touch her. Um, and she's wondering, what's, is this normal? What's wrong with this? And then there's isolation from family and friends because you're less vulnerable to suspicions that others may have. Family and friends, and I'm going to kind of get to this later, but... When a woman is going through this, her presence is different. She's not as vibrant as she used to be. She's not keeping herself up, and no, everybody's wondering, what is wrong with her? But I'll get to that later. Personality. So this is profile of spouses who struggle with same-sex sex attractions. Personality, they're likable, they're charismatic, enthusiastic in public, but pensive, moody, self-critical, subconscious, angry, and private. So people on the outside thinks, oh, you got the greatest husband, you know, you're so lucky. But behind closed doors, you know, he's, he's a different man. Narcissistic, extreme self-centeredness. He has a sense of unworthiness and shame so that he overcompensates for that, overcompensates for that um, in ways of, like, overachieving, doing... Um, if she begins to sense that 
something's wrong, it's then almost like a real honeymoon. There's a period of, wow, he's very interested in me, uh, to really just throw her off, and then it goes away. And she's like, what was that? Uh, brilliant liars uh, feels he's not lying if he with, withholds information. Emotional manipulators kind of talked about that earlier. Also, there's gay bashing, um, extremely homophobic in their conversations, to the point you're thinking, well, okay, get it. You know, that's overkill. Uh, that's the overcompensating. That is trying to really make it look like he is totally not for homosexuals when he's actually struggling with this. Isolates himself, especially on the computer. He wants solitude. He, he wants to be alone. Uh, he's upset if she comes around. He's sneaky around the computer. Um, controlling of his spouse and his environment. We talked about that earlier about the cleanliness of the home, um, the finances. He's really. Uh, it's, people say that they're controlling that way because they're they're so out of control in their sexual area that they want everything else to be. Con- the only thing they can't control is their outside environment. So that's what they're trying to do, trying to control her, trying to control the kids, the finance of the household. They blame the spouse for his uh, unhappiness. If, if you were, you know, not as fat, or if you were thinner, or if you did this better, if you cooked better, it was, it's always an issue, and she can never please him. Past experience. This is not always definite. You hear, like, the causes of homosexuality, sexual abuse, and all this stuff, but it's not every person who have experienced this turned out to be homosexual. But it's usually in their background. Sexual abuse, emotional, unavailable fathers, dominant mother. The boys act too feminine. The girls act too too tomboyish. In some marriages, the man would admit, you know, people used to, you know, call me sissy. You know, that's... That's a, that's a big hint um, that there may be some struggles there. Uh, participated in homosexual behavior, college years. Yeah, he, he says, yeah, I experimented. It was nothing all, you know, the frat brothers and I, you know, this is something we did. That's not just an activity that you do. And, like, <laughs> and just let it go at that. Um, I have heard that those who are or in uh, prisons, because of that environment, you know, they do act that way. But when they come out, there's nothing there. I, I have heard that, that they go back to their heterosexual relationships. So it's, it's based on the individual. Okay, the prototype of the chosen spouse. Usually the person is, um, gives the, give, usually gives people the benefit of the doubt, not suspicious of others, judge, non-judgmental, very nice, giving, caring, don't ask a lot of questions, usually service-oriented type of women that they are attracted to um, because they can be in a relationship and this person will try to make it work, will not judge him, want to help him. Suspicious circumstances and red flags. I'm not going to go over this because we kind of went over it already, so I'll skip that. Okay, the motives. Why would someone do this? Disillusionment. He believes that heterosexual marriage will take away the physical temptations. Now, for women who struggle with this, these are, they don't necessarily always apply because women are different in their desires for 
being a lesbian or being attracted to other women. And that's a whole nother study <laughs> that I can't that I can't get into. So denial, he doesn't see himself as the stereotypical gay man. He just doesn't want to be put in that category. When you ask him, are you gay? He's going to say no, because that's not something that he doesn't see himself like Hollywood portrays a gay man. But if you go back to the biblical, if you stick with the biblical definition, it talks about the acts. You know, are you attracted to men? Are you sexually active with other men? Instead of ask, using these labels, because they'll deny it. Um, believes that suppressing his desires will work. So, so they, they say, I want to be married. I want this American dream. I want the wife, the kids. You know, I, don't, I want my corporate job. So I'm, I'm going to look the part. And they really believe this is going to, this is going to work. And a lot of pastors in the past have told men who struggle with this when they confided in them, you know, they tell them, go get married, you know, to one of the women in the congregation. And she has this problem, you know, it's, but that was the solution a long time ago. Deception, like I said, he wanted the American dream. Um, not disclosing his struggle and past experiences, so, and his wife is used as a cover. So these are motives as to why he does this in the first place. The valley of death, death, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, this is where the counseling part comes in. Um, she's, she's devastated. This is the, the horrific thing that has happened uh, when you are deceived. That's one of the hardest things, the hardest sins that can be done against you when someone has lied to you. So she asked, he married me. How can he be gay? There's confusion. There's unbelief. There's denial because she's thinking, well, when we got together, he was saying these types of things to me. He was saying all the right things. This, this is impossible. How could I have not known? There's a lot of shame and a lot of guilt and embarrassment of, you know, when people find out. And they would ask her, how did you not know you were married to him? He's a great actor. I mean, that's his point. His, his life was to hide these things from her. And he tried very hard to hide it. My marriage has been one big lie. And this is so devastating. This puts her down into depression. Because she thinks about her years, especially they're, they're, they come out when they're like in the 10-year marriage, 20, 30 years, over 30 years of marriage. And he finally says to her, I'm not in love with you anymore. I want a divorce. I'm homosexual. And she's like, what? We've raised kids. We have grandkids. What do you mean? Her whole entire life has changed. So that just puts you down into a deep depression. And then she looks at him and, and thinks, this is a stranger. What he's saying to me or what I've seen when they, if they caught him with pictures, in pictures or something, he's the stranger. This is two different, like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Anger, depression, shock, deep disappointment, extremely hurt. What's wrong with me? There's a lot of self-contempt. I'm not thin enough, attractive enough, smart enough, supportive enough, too sexually demanding. She was strong, full of life and independent, but after a few years, she was a stranger to herself, her family and her friends. Her hair is not kept up, her clothes, she's, and she doesn't realize it. Someone would ask, why don't you do your hair? She's like, what do you mean? She loses her sense of femininity. She doesn't know what makes her feel like a woman because when you're in a relationship, masculinity has to be nurtured. And femininity has to be nurtured. You can't reject that in your spouse. 
and that's he rejects her womanhood is unappreciated and is rejected and it begins to manifest in her presence in her body and in, in, in her life why did God allow this to happen to me I feel betrayed and forsaken by God I go to church tie teach Sunday school this is not what I signed up for you know so you get very self-centered and focused on I didn't think the Christian life was supposed to be this way so she's forgetting scripture she's forgetting really knowing who God is <coughs> because he says I will never leave you nor forsake you and she thinks he has what about the children? I can't really go over this because there's a lot that goes into this with age appropriateness. If the child knows, how do you handle that? If they don't know, uh, they wonder about their sexuality, depending on the age, especially teen boys. You have to be careful in how you handle that. And if a divorce actually takes place, you know, you have his lifestyle and with the kids going. So it's so much involved in that. So the grieving process. Finding out that your husband is unfaithful with a woman is difficult enough to deal with under ordinary circumstances, but finding out that your spouse is unfaithful with another man is more than most women can cope with. So the way of suffering, it comes by a loss. I mean, this is something that we discover as we grow in maturity in Christ. And, and this is a part of the sanctification process. Think of Job. He had so much that happened to him, which I believe is worse than this. All ten of his kids were, you know, killed. He lost all of his possessions, everything down to even his health. He only had his wife, but people are hard on his wife. She lost everything, too, when she said, curse God and die. She was struggling with that as well. But suffering comes at a loss, and it comes from God. So she's thinking, why did you let this happen to me? Didn't you know he was struggling with this? I prayed before we got married. Why didn't you let me know? So she's struggling in her relationship with the Lord. And Job says, he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And it's hard to counsel a woman like this when she's devastated, she's hurting, and she doesn't understand. But you have to take her back to the cross. You have to take her back to the gospel. Any situation, someone who was sexually abused when they were a kid, wondering, where was God? Where was he? So, I mean, all these difficult tragedies, um, we always have to take them back to the cross. The faith to endure. So, the grieving process. You move from denial, denial and isolation to honesty with yourself. You have to be honest with yourself and, and tell the truth of everything that has happened. This is what I thought. This is what he said. You move from anger and resentment to honesty with God. When she was saying, I thought you, you know, why didn't you do this? You know, you left me there. God can handle it. God can handle, you know, us being so truthful to them. I am going faster here, so if you want notes, um, I can email it to you. If you, like, put your email on here, um, I can definitely email you a copy of this. And then you move from bargaining and works to asking God for help. Bargaining and works, meaning, okay, um, I will be better if this will work, if you take this away from him. I will be a better this or better that. Um, so she has to move from that to asking God for help. And this is not just, oh, Lord, help me. This is a deep crying, you know, after God. This is truly to the soul core asking for help. And then you move, she moves from depression and alienation to receiving God's help. Meaning, 
Not that, okay, God, change him, I'll receive that. That may not be what happens, and a divorce may actually take, take place. So she has to receive the help that God wants to give her. This is her sanctification process. When Job was tested, part of that purpose was to prove his character and his integrity. Satan said, You're gonna, he will curse you and you know, curse you to your face. And God, okay, do it. Do whatever you want. Just don't kill him. And Job was faithful. He did have his time with the Lord and argued with the Lord. And, you know, God can handle that. And he, he brought him all the way through that. And that's what she needs to do as well. Okay, there is a resurrection of hope. Do not despair. Second Corinthians 4.8 We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. This is so difficult for her to believe. She is extremely devastated, and she is in despair. I personally went into a three-year depression after he left. My little one was two. And I had to work. I had her. He actually left the state. No support. And three years of, of this. And my fix was food. Gluttony. If you were here last year, I did the seminar on overeating. So just coming out of that, you know, remembering who I am in Christ. And we'll get to that too. You must trust God. Second Corinthians 1, 9, and 10. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves but on God, who raises the dead, he has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. And God sees your tears. Psalm 56, 8. You have taken account of my wonderings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? God hears and will act on your behalf. Psalm 37, 17 through 18. The righteous cry, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and save, saves those who are crushed in spirit. Now, we know as Christians, um, you can't just throw this at a person who's in the midst of devastation. They, they will not receive it. But if she, you know, eventually, if she has the Holy Spirit in her, she will eventually come to believe this when she realizes that all her resources are disposed of. She, God is not going to do magic here. He's not going to, you know, snap his finger and you have this fantasy marriage that you always wanted. That it just, once she has to come to that, that this is not going to happen. Yes, this is your assignment right now that he has for you. And you have to walk through it. God will help when you are helpless. For he will deliver the needy when he cries for help. The afflicted also and him who has no helper. Bob Kellerman is a biblical counselor, and he says, I learned from his book, I think it's on the reference, is the grief one. I learned the significance of these particular verses from a counselee whose husband had left her for another man. Yes, another man. She clung to the truth and taught me the truth that God's good heart goes out, especially to the humble needy. She practiced biblical crying out to God, the hopeful, trusting plea for God to mobilize himself on her behalf. And just speaking from experience, it took me a long time. I had actually compartmentalized this part of my life and moved on with going through biblical counseling school and raising my child and, and doing all this other stuff. But this one area, I, I left somewhere <laughs> until the Lord started dealing with me on this. And he actually said, um, well, someone asked me, well, how was your, your relationship with the Lord 
with that situation when he left and you were alone, I felt like he betrayed me. And I'm thinking that shocked me. I'm like, what? I know that's not true. But I was actually living that way in this area. It's like I'm totally believing a lie about God. You know, he is sovereign and I have to trust him. He did not leave me. And I had to understand that this side of God, and this is the difficult thing to understand, that God allows bad things to happen to Christians. He does. And it's for a reason. It's for a purpose. It's to purify. It's to build our character. It's to make us more into the image of Jesus Christ. And he uses some really, really bad things. But we still have to trust him in this. Grace for the journey. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Okay, grace of brokenness. You have to die to self. Turning away from the idolatry of self-centeredness and every attempt to orient one's life by the dictates of self-interest. And she's thinking, what? I'm self-centered? It was him. He did this to me. But you have to look in the mirror for for you to grow. You can only change yourself. And if she really thinks about it, she really has anger in her heart. I mean, like murder, like Tim Lane was saying. It, I mean, you're, she's harboring all this sinful stuff inside of her. She has to deal with it. Surrender yourself completely to him, especially in this circumstance. Take up your cross. It is obedience to God's will as revealed in his word, accepting the consequences without reservations for Jesus' sake and the gospel. You must identify with him in suffering and death. And you're like, Lord, really this? Yeah, yeah, really that. Follow Jesus. You must follow him obediently wherever he leads. If you live for yourself, you will lose yourself. But if you lose yourself for his sake and the gospels, you will find yourself. A woman can be stuck for a long time in anger and depression and bitterness. And her spiritual life will be stunted. She will not grow. And, I mean, she comes to counseling and she's just broken down. But... As soon as she starts hearing again, reminding her, herself of God's truth and the gospel, that has to break up because she has the Holy Spirit in her and, and she will find it as soothing after being so long in that hole. So she has to remember who she is in Christ. Your life is not your own. This is my life's verse. When I was in the midst of that marriage, God brought me to this when I realized mm, the life is not exactly how I wanted it to be. You know, and, and have, having to accept that. Well, why do I have to accept that? Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me in the life which I live now in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up to me for me. And it requires faith to walk through this. It's, you can't go on your feelings. She has to walk by faith. God is sovereign over your life. This was hard for me to, to accept. I, I just, it was hard for me to accept how sovereign he is and why would a sovereign God do this? Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you. Do not be surprised <laughs> at this, which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. To God, this is nothing. This is nothing. And that's kind of comforting to know that God is bigger than this and he will carry me through this. Running the race, look at the big picture. Hebrews 12, 1. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, 
Let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. It's so easy to forget that this part of your life, this is not all. (laughs) There's a whole spectrum that God sees. And this area, although she feels like I'm going to die in this area of my life, I will never survive this. You have to show her the big picture. Keep the finish line in view. Second Timothy 4, 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the <coughs> faith. Acts of grace, biblical love. This is the basis. This, this is the scripture I go to in every counseling case. Whatever issue you have, this is the foundation. Loving God with all that you are. And you, must sh- and, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Your heart is, uh, is where your treasure is. Scripture tells us that. So you have to love him there at that level. And with your soul and with your mind and with your strength, your energies, you have to put your energies in loving God. And your mind has to be renewed. You have to focus on him. You have to um, teach yourself or train yourself to constantly love God in this way. It's not going to come easy. And you have enemies, your flesh, the world, and Satan against you. Then and only then... You can love others as yourself. How can she love this man? She is called to love him, you know, uh, maybe not as a spouse, but as a person who is in need of salvation if he's not saved, but definitely in need of repentance and for his life to be a witness for Christ. So forgiveness, giving up your right to get revenge or to punish just as the Lord forgave you. So also should you. And this is hard to swallow. But you cannot get revenge. You cannot punish him for doing what he did to you. Because look at what we did to Christ. And we have received his forgiveness. So who are we to not forgive someone else? Praying for your offender. Remember what Job did after all that? The Lord told him to pray for his friends. The Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends. And the Lord increased all that Job had twofold. So when God wants us to pray for our enemies, say like our boss is just terrible, and you're, you're a Christian there. You know, you have to pray for this person. Not because, yes, 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 I'm a Christian. I, should, I know I should pray. There's spiritual forces behind praying over someone who is your enemy or who you consider your enemy. So with your spouse treating you this way, this is not just, oh, I know I need to pray for him. You know, check, I prayed for him. No, there are spiritual forces going on. This sin has to be defeated. The sin from your boss has to be defeated. So there's power in prayer. Reconciliation, peace with God restored because she's devastated in that relationship with the Lord um, has to be restored and declare peace in the name of Christ. We are um, this verse here, second Corinthians five eighteen. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. This doesn't mean, okay, we're going to get together again. We're going to, that's, The reconciliation of the marriage is not necessarily the focus. It is reconciling sinners to Christ. And that, if she looks at it like this is a ministry opportunity, it's hard. If someone sinned against you, this is how you have to see it. Because we are beyond that in Christ. So, if you would like um, copies, put your email there. I will be glad to send you this. And thank you for coming. We are like... (coughs) Right there. <laughs> so um, I'm going to pray us out, and then if you have any questions, we can do that off the.
thing. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your grace, for your mercy once again. Thank you for your word that you brought um, in your scriptures relating to the situation. Father, I, I just pray for the women and the men who are struggling in this situation on either side of this. Father, I just pray that you would give us the, um, the compassion to minister to them, to help them through this, uh, to not be disgusted ourselves and run away, but to face this with boldness and courage because we have you, because we have your word, and because you can actually save someone out of this sin. So I thank you, Father, for those who are here. May you bless them and keep them for the rest of this conference, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Copyright 2012, IBCD, All Rights Reserved. More free resources are available at www.ibcd.org.